when you're actually actively looking at what sensations you're feeling in your body, there is no room to cognitively explain because we can only do one thing at a time as human beings. We can either way be in our intellect yeah. or we can be in our sensorial. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm very excited today. We've got Cedric Bertelli. Uh, I've been told that that is the correct pronunciation. So it, hope is. it is. Excellent. Um, so he's the founder of the Emotional Health Institute, and this is fascinating uh, for me already. We're so excited to have your um, professional angle, but also your personal angle on the show. Welcome. Thank you very much. I am uh, very honored to be here today. Thank you. And where are you? Because I know it's super early for you. Whereabouts are you in the world? I'm in San Francisco, California. San Francisco. And as you guys know, I'm in London. So uh, welcome from San Francisco. Give our listeners a little bit of insight just into who you are. What is the Emotional Institute? What are you passionate about? Okay, great. Well, um, my name is Cédric Bertelier, as you said very well. Uh, I am from France originally and from south of France in a tiny little village where 80 people are down there. And uh, I moved in California in 2003 to work for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Companies. Uh, I was a chef and then I started managing restaurants for them up until 2009. In 2009, I did a career shift. I moved from hospitality to uh, doing what I do now. Um, all my life, since I was a little kid, uh, I was a very anxious person. You know, how to deal with a lot of anger, um, depression, low-grade depression, etc. And all my life, up until, up until that point, up until 2009, I always was trained to find ways to feel better. And I tried a lot of things, psychotherapy. I uh, tried to run naked around the fire. It's California, so we know these kind of things. You're beating pillows, all this stuff. Yeah. Did it help a little bit? With the running around the fire bit? It was fun. In the moment. <laughs> yeah, in the moment. It burned me a little bit. But, uh... <laughs> oh my God, that sounds like you desperation. That you're just trying anything to feel better. <laughs> Pretty much. And um, in 2009, I found a program in France um, that was called TP at the time. Yeah. And um, they were uh, claiming that in 30 minutes, anybody can resolve permanently any kind of destructive, destructive emotional pattern. 30 minutes. So, 30 minutes, permanently. So, I was uh, quite skeptical, but, you know, as you should be, I think. And um, I did a session on the phone with somebody in France on something that was coming back on a daily basis for me, a specific anger. And whatever I worked on did not come back. That means that something that was coming back on a daily basis did not show up again. When, when you say that you were angry, though, I just want to go mm. into this a little bit. Yeah. Um, anger can sometimes be right, a symptom of 
other stuff, right? So it's the way we, sh- we act out maybe pain or trauma or lots of different things. So when Absolutely. you're saying you would work on your anger, was it about, like, do, could you kind of put a thread towards what you were angry about? Or was it just like, I don't know how to control my emotions, you know? Got you. Yeah, you're right. The anger is an emotional reaction. And one session didn't cure all my anger. No, that would be too good to be right. true. Exactly. It was a specific anger that I was feeling toward a coworker. Okay. Uh, so it was a guy that was pissing me off on a daily basis. Yeah. And we and couldn't relate. So it was this type of anger. And you're right. I mean, anger is just um, a repercussion of, of a fear. That's all it is. Absolutely. Oh, you said that very well. It's a, so anger is the repercussion of fear. So under oh, yeah. the anger is often we're afraid of something and then we act out in some way. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I shared with you before the interview, I've been bullied pretty badly as a kid. And of course, the guy who was making me angry was a big dude. And I'm kind of short, you know. And, you know, I had like this intrusive guts. Every time I was seeing him, I just wanted to like, like a chihuahua, you know, ah, go, to his, go to his neck. Yeah. And uh, so it was quite a challenge. Yeah. And after doing this session with this guy in France, um, I learned to resolve my emotional difficulties by myself uh, following the program. You learned a technique and, to apply yeah. it to other areas of your life. That's correct, to any kind of emotions. And uh, I had four main stuff that were, that were really in my face at the time. And I worked them through, gave myself six months to see if those four emotions came back in my life. And they did not. So it was a time for me to change. I felt it. So I quit my job at the Ritz and I went back to France to study what I'm doing now, basically, which is how to resolve emotional patterns. Um, fascinating. So I, I have to ask, what is the formula that they talked about? Like, what was the technique or strategy? And is it similar to anything like cognitive behavior therapy? Or is it about just challenging your thought process? What's the, the simple layman's uh, version of what their technique was? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Um, it's, it's based on a natural physiologic capacity for emotional resolution. Basically, to uh, now that I study the thing for quite a bit, um, to recap a little bit how it works, um, we we are using to resolve those emotional patterns. We're using the physical sensations present during the emotion. Those physical sensations we call that interoception in neuroscience. Uh, basically, the way that we know that we feel an emotion is that we feel physical sensations. And then basically when the cognitive brain cannot shut them down, that's where we feel an emotion. An emotion always starts with a physiologic response, with a physiologic response. Um, so where do this physiologic response come from? Mm. So why is a stimuli for me, something is a stimuli for me and not a stimuli for you? Yeah. Um, for the last couple of years, um, I understood using uh, a fantastic book uh, from uh, Lisa Barrett-Fillman. For example, she explained that very well. It's called Our Emotional Made and, and other work anyway. The way that the, the brain works is that the brain constantly predicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in order you to know? Life, right? that's our primal response. Yeah. Absolutely. And what's interesting to that uh, about that is that we don't react, we predict based on, based on past uh, events. Yeah. 
Um, from what we understand today is that in order for us to have emotional patterns, meaning an emotion that keeps on coming back again and again and again, and the origin of the patterns is always one out of two origin, apparently. The first origin of a pattern can be, can be a very intense physical stress, such yeah. as a, a short loss of consciousness, an accident, something that happened at birth, some things that happen maybe sometimes in utero, you name it. Or it can be a very intense stress. And what is happening during a very intense stress or uh, during a loss of consciousness is that our cognitive brain shut down. Mm -hmm. However, our subconscious brain, so to speak, keep on recording everything, yeah. everything, yeah. yeah. So the subconscious, at the moment when the trauma happened, cognitive brain shut down, subconscious brain record everything, record everything you feel, taste, smell, hear, everything you feel, and also everything you feel inside, mm. in your body, during this moment of very high stress. The way that it is recorded doesn't make any sense. The subconscious mind does not record elements the same way that the cognitive mind does. It's a different memory. So it's not like sequence and, you know, as, as our cognitive memory would be. It's more a, a feeling or a, a, a felt thing that isn't in a particular order, for example. That's correct. It's, uh, it doesn't make any sense, I would say. You know, the subconscious mind can record up to 20 million bits of information a second. The conscious mind records about 40 bits of information a second. So the way it's recorded, it's unbelievable. You know, it's like the black box they're playing. Yeah. It captures everything then. Everything. And in a way, that doesn't make sense. So um, let's say, okay, there's a trauma happening. It can be anything, right? From birth to an event that happened in our life. Cognitive brain shut down. Subconscious brain record the information. Later on, as we walk in life, as a kid, as a teenager, as an adult, when the subconscious brain grasps one element that was present during one of those traumatic events, the subconscious brain is going to do what it does best, is going to predict. It is going to predict what physical sensations you're going to feel mm -hmm. based on the element that it captured. Yeah. You know, the same way that before you bite into an apple, you know exactly how it's going to taste like. And your mouth you waters. And yeah, right away. There's a prediction happening all the time, constantly. If we're reacting to things, you'll be long dead. You know? So the subconscious brain gather an element that was present during one of our trauma and predict instantly what physical sensation you're going to feel. Mm -hmm. Those physical sensations, the interoception is being generated. Mm -hmm. For example, heartbeat, tight throat, tight jaw. We don't realize that. All of a sudden, we feel anxious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what to do. Can I just pause you? Because I want um, the listeners to understand how I'm applying this to myself in, in this moment. So I was born and raised in a cult. And so there were lots of scenarios where... Um, you know, my, my friends were punished publicly and humiliated and I would, you know, keep my mouth shut and be observing uh, the sort of abuse onto them. And so growing up, what, exactly what you're saying is like throat constriction. If there's ever this feeling of, of lack of justice or something that feels out of whack, like my body here in my throat will feel it 
because it's threatening for, to, for me to be that child again who doesn't have a voice. It's like, that's my survival mechanism when I'm, I'm a kid. It's like, you shut up because otherwise you'll be punished with them sort of thing. And so my physical reactions. And then the other one, because we get real on this show, right? Is yeah. that when I was about 19, I was, I was raped. So I was um, sort of date raped. And um, for years afterwards, uh, even with my husband, so that was like a safe relationship, I would get sort of that PTSD feeling. And it would only be at certain times, which was interesting because it, it wouldn't be like every time I had sex or every time I had intimacy. But maybe if my resilience was a little bit low or I hadn't slept as well or these other variables were going on in my body, right? Then it would... Yeah. Am, am I translating yeah. that? You're right. 100% right. Absolutely. You got it. You yes. got it. It's a pleasure. Yeah. And so there's something about learning to understand the signals from our body well before it reaches that crisis point, right? Which is where some of the healing can happen. So actually, when the, when the emotion is there, yeah. when you feel the emotion, when, you, when we have the emotion, the anxiety, for example, happening, or the PTSD, or the anger, yeah. when the emotion is there, yeah. everything is triggered in the brain to resolve it once and for all. Why? When you feel the emotion, is your subconscious mind predicting based on the past experience. Now, it's nowadays, it's a quote-unquote wrong prediction. Yeah. Your brain never updated. That's yeah. right. For example, with the example with your husband, you know that you're safe. Yes. You know that it's okay. That's fine. Yeah. 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 Cognitively, everything is fine. However, your body is like, no way. Yeah. And you have a response. Yeah. At the moment that the prediction is here, the moment and the physical sensations are here, it's like a vortex taking you, can take you, that can take you to the past. Mm-hmm. When, the, when the sensations are here, everything is triggering the brain to resolve it. Why? As you feel the sensations, as you feel the emotion, if you simply connect consciously to your physical sensation at that time, without, without trying to control them or without trying to understand what's happening, if you consciously connect to your physical sensations, to the interoception, yeah. and observe those sensations in your body without trying to control them, the sensations are going to start to move inside of you. We call that the evolution of the sensations. And what's fascinating about what you said is n- not try to control, but not try and understand. No. And as a psychotherapist, that's what the industry tries to do is try and understand and analyze. So if you ask me about the the whole kind of uh, cycle of whatever, I could explain exactly what kind of happens to me, right? But sitting with it, I think, is what you're saying. Yes. Without trying to, oh my God. That's right. Sitting with the physical sensation because we cannot cognitively, oh, I hope you don't take offense, you, 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 we cannot really cognitively heal an emotion. I do not get it. You know, if you just if you just try to understand, we can understand, we can analyze, we can completely comprehend why we're feeling an emotion, but that will not stop the body prediction. Now, when you consciously, as you feel the emotion from a safe place, mm-hmm. as you have the emotion, you close your eyes, you pay attention to your physical sensations, and you observe those sensations moving in your body. Basically, you're feeling the original sensations that were felt at the moment of the trauma, that's what's happening. Hmm? Which is your body- and which our cognitive brain, it's like for me, my safe place is understanding it. 
So I'll be like, yep. let me just explain this. So I'm back in my safe place in my head because yep. to experience it is terrifying if you're not, if you don't understand that it's going to actually process by doing that. Correct. And that's why I'm here because I, I want to scream that <laughs> those physical sensations, yes, it's scary to get in, to, to, it's scary to stop and become intimate with those sensations. We've been spending our life running away from them. Yeah. Now, if we, if we know that they're safe and we, we are in a safe space and maybe your husband is holding your hand, maybe you do it with somebody whose job it is, like my job or people that I train, you know, and you can connect to those physical sensations and observe them as they, as they evolve in your body. What it is showing to your brain, to your subconscious brain, is that, well, I can stay with those physical sensations mm-hmm. and nothing is happening to me. I am actually safe. You're showing your subconscious brain that what used to be a stimuli, what used to be a stimulus, what created this emotion, what created this prediction, nowadays is obsolete because you're able to stay safe, conscious, with those sensations as they evolve when before, the first time that that happened, you were in a bad, bad situation. Nowadays, this prediction based on one stimulus is obsolete. Now, you tell me this example when it comes to anger, which is what you were experiencing. So if my, my thought is going, because uh, I'm trying to understand it, right? <laughs> yeah, this is what we hear now. Anger is something that you can act out on. So that means if you sit with the sensation of anger, you can yeah. go punch someone or American people can shoot someone or um, <laughs> um, like, like you might act on it like what's the line between sitting because you said don't control it so i'm curious about that one yeah i love your question (laughs) the beauty is when you feel anger you feel anger and you want to push someone you literally want when you stay in the emotion you want to push someone and you want to act on the anger however if you stop if you have the will to stop to close your eyes and pay attention to your physical sensations there's an amazing shift that happens you're moving yourself from being in your intellect and trying to deal with an emotion, to control an emotion. You're shifting from this place to the sensorial. And so is it fair to say you're, you're shifting from external, let me act this out, to internal, let me observe internally? That's right. And from the moment you consciously, you consciously shift to your physical sensations, there is no more emotional reaction. So you don't want to punch someone, you don't want to scream. Now you're just in touch with a tight throat, a tight chest, and a nausea. So you're becoming basically in touch with the most primal way to feel your emotion, the sensorial way. I like to say that you become in touch with the DNA of your emotion. You're not into control mode, you're not into reacting mode, but you're now simply in touch with physical sensations when you do that. Your emotional reaction stops. And do you need to go inward with some kind of intention? Now, hear me out. You know that the, there's there's different schools of thought of you know you know if you have a critical voice in your head, so you go internal. That critical voice might get loud. Maybe that's cognitive. I don't know. Um, do you, or is the intention? Do you have to practice self compassion while you? I don't know. While you? Or is that trying to control it? <laughs> well, you just put it there. It's trying to control it. Okay. You've got to just shift into what sensations you're feeling in your body. And, and that's 
That's the act of thinking, I will say. When you're actually actively looking at what sensations you're feeling in your body, there is no room to cognitively explain because we can only do one thing at a time as human beings. We can either way be in our intellect yeah. or we can be in our sensorial. When we are cognitively trying to feel what we're feeling in our body, there is no room for the monkey in the head. All day long as human beings, we're shifting from intellect to sensorial all day long from one to another. For example, if I'm driving every day from point A to point B, I get into my car, I start driving, I'm in my head. I pay very little attention to what's going on on the road. Mm. I can talk to my wife, I can listen to a podcast, I can sing, my body is driving. Mm -hmm. I'm in my head. Now, if traffic stops because there's an accident right up in front of me, and I have to break my car in order to hit somebody in front, well, what's going to happen? All my thought, my conversation, everything is going to shut down. Yeah. I'm going to be reinvested 100% into stopping the car, reinvested into my body. Yeah. I'm sure. becoming, say again? For sure. You get the fight or flight thing, right? Boom. You get in there. But more than that, you consciously yeah. reinvested in an action. Basically, you go back into the driver's seat. Now, when we have an emotion such as anger, anxiety, the car is driving itself. Your emotion is driving you. We're just trying to survive it. We're trying to save our face. We're trying to control it. We're trying not to do anything stupid. The car is driving itself. Mm -hmm. When you stop, you close your eyes and you pay attention to your physical sensation, you're back in charge. You're back in the driver's seat. Counterintuitive. Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing this to myself, and I know I'm in my intellect way too much, like to the point that I have to consciously do yoga or do stuff that just like puts me in in my body. Um, but it's counterintuitive because it doesn't feel cognitively like that's what's happening. Because you're in a sense you're letting go, you're trusting that the emotion is going to take you somewhere, and it. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's going to process something rather than take you on a journey that maybe is cognitive as well. Do you see how hard this is for me? <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I, I completely hear you. And it's, um, it's a new way, so to speak, to understand the brain. But I get yeah. it. I, should yeah. I tell you why I get it? Last summer, I went to this festival, it was the Hippie Festival, and there were lots of sort of workshops that were about, you know, uh, your body and uh, that, that sort of thing. And we did this exercise, and I met a man who I... Just met that day. Hello, we're going to do this activity together. And I had to be blindfolded and there was music playing. And the rule was that you would dance and the, your partner would just protect you. So if you were going to a wall, they would like put a hand. If you were in front of a different person that was moving, they would protect you, right? Yeah. It just seems like just a kid's just like dance thing. I was weeping. And I swear there was something like healing about trusting this man, this human. But while I was dancing, so I couldn't think cognitively about whether I trusted him or didn't. But there was this safety in sort of letting go in my body while he was present. It was, I don't know if I'm explaining it appropriately. Oh, yeah. It sounds like that's what you're talking about was it, it, it was the sort of set up stage moment. But it allowed me to go there or something and to yeah. sit with it in a safe way. Absolutely. We, we, you, you know, it's, it's a beautiful analogy that you just did. Absolutely. We've got to understand that the physical sensations present in the body during an emotion are completely safe. It's actually your body screaming for help. And all we do when we're having an emotion is we're not listening to the body. We're trying to control it. We're trying to, co to convince our body that what is sending to us 
is not right or that we, we, yeah. it's very it's childish it's, yeah absolutely like i'm i'm older than i'm smarter than this i'm more mature than this i can override it yeah but, but you like, can't we can't. I mean, we can override it for one time, but it keeps on coming back. If it keeps on coming back, it's because it keeps on coming back to be healed, basically. The prediction is keep on coming back. It's like an idiot. I'm telling you, you're in danger. And you, you, we, we, don't, we don't take the time. We, it's, contra, it's contraintuitive, as you said. Mm. Those physical sensations are literally a link to the very root of the emotion. It's like a vortex. Now, we've got to get in there, feel them, and observe them consciously. As they evolve in the body, so until they start evolving, sit there and practice this. So feeling the emotion connected to your childhood bullying. Yeah, basically, your but that's what that's what I teach to people is how they can do that on a safe. It's always safe. I mean, what's scary is to get in. Yeah, what's scary is to get in because it's it, very often it is recorded in the subconscious mind as an experience of death or of a near-death experience because yeah. of. So it's it's counterproductive, counter no, not counterproductive, counterintuitive. Yeah. To actually sink into an into an experience that has been lived as an experience of near death. Because it feels like for me, going back to when I was a kid and had no control over, like that thing of letting go of control or not thinking my way out of it takes me to like, I was in a cult, like I didn't have control. We had to follow rules. If you didn't, you were, you were, you know, shut out, like all that sort of stuff. Yes. But, but essentially I'm safe. I get that. But like the feeling doesn't get that. It just goes, this could be it. Right. Yep. That's exactly what it is. Your body is predicting based on an element that oh, we back there 30 years ago. Yeah. Now it's, it's nowadays we're not there anymore. Hmm. You know, now they are not bullied by bigger guys. And I, we're not there anymore. And we've got, all it is, is updating the data. Say that again? Uh, all it is, when you get into your body and actually feel from a safe place that everything is all right today, is updating the data. Say, yes, okay, that was a danger back then. Nowadays, it's not anymore. And it's not a cognitive thing. You cannot say that. That will not do the trick. You've got to... <laughs> got to feel it. You've got to consciously feel it and not try to change it. Those sensations feel scary, but physiologically, they're not. Once we get in there, it's not scary. It can be uncomfortable for a little bit, but it's going to sound crazy. But the time that the sensations evolve, the time that it takes for the brain to update, to sync the subconscious memory with our current life, Take about 60 seconds. Really? It's extremely quick. So I just have to let go for 60 seconds and then I can take control again. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Really? That's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. When we do a session with a, when I do a session with a client, yeah. uh, it takes a bit longer. It takes about... Talk us through how a session works. Because mm -hmm. obviously I come from a psychotherapy, but also I'm a coach, so, which is a slightly different you know, ways of working or challenging people's fears or all of that sort of, you know stuff yeah, it, absolutely do you need the person to engage with the story so they can get to that emotion no no that's the beauty of it no, no first of all how do you no get story. them there great question uh, first of all i, I want to insist that like, everybody can do that on themselves by themselves if they learn how to do it properly 
I mean, there is, there is, I put some program online. I, I try okay. to make it okay. fit, like, so they can learn to do that on themselves. But working with a coach or a therapist sometimes feels safer. Yeah, of course. So you that's make, a fact. They know what they're doing. So then you absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So how do we do it in a session? We never go back to the trauma. Never, ever. We, I will ask my clients, what is the repercussion or the impact of the trauma today in your life? Yeah. Uh, in, to go back to your example, if I may, you say, well, for example, one, sometimes when I'm intimate with my husband. Yeah. Okay. But we'll take a specific time when you feel that way mm-hmm. from your current life. And starting from a specific situation, we will re-trigger your interoception. We will re-trigger your brain for you to specifically feel that emotion that you feel when you have to be intimate. But you will stand the emotion for two seconds. As soon as the emotion will stop, yeah, that's right. We start to point, we will shift you to the physical sensations. So get out of the panic and the fear, which is often up here. Yeah. Am I safe? Am I in danger? Blah, 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 all of that. You won't even have time to think about it. Okay. <laughs> Your body will generate physical sensations. Slow the process down so I just understand, like... <laughs> yes. I'm yes. To understand. And my goal when I work with people is to increase the pace of the process, you know, because I don't want them to stay in the emotion. No. The emotion is where the suffering is, you know. So we get the body to generate those physical sensations and right away we shift the awareness, the client awareness, to the physical. And of course, we create a safe container, so to speak, so they can really jump into the vortex and be with their sensations without impacting them whatsoever and letting the sensations do what they want, do what so they have to do. How, how can someone do this by themselves? And a second part to that question, do things like meditation or body work in a variety of ways support this? Like, is, does it help to have a consistent practice, even though you can get rid of it in that moment or in that time but does it help to almost because the world that we live in is fight or flight i'm in london right it's fast-paced it's it's uh, you know sink or swim it's you know all that sort of vibe that you get in a big city so how can we do this by ourselves and are there practices that we could do to prevent us maybe even from getting to that point in the first place um all the practices such as meditation yoga are fantastic for for, for, I would say, um, everyday life. Right. It helps us to stay grounded. You know, it's, it's great. When it comes down to resolve an emotional pattern, because we're really talking about the resolution, yes, those practices help because they can allow you to have an awareness of your body. And already for, you, for us to have a sense of what do we mean by physical sensations. Good point. However, when it's time to resolve something, the only time the gate is open, except if you work with a, a, a coach or, or somebody that we train at the Emotional Health Institute, but the only time the gate is open in the brain to do a resolution is when you feel an emotion. So, sort of. That's right. So that's what I call an agent of life, meaning like when we feel an emotion, when we feel an emotion that pollutes our life, so to speak, to not try to make sense of it, to not try to blame somebody, or to not try to trying to see, is it appropriate for me to feel this emotion? Is it appropriate for me in this situation to feel angry or afraid? You feel afraid, you feel angry, and you know that something has come back in your life. Don't ask yourself. You stop, 
You close your eyes, you pay attention to your sensations, and you let the sensations evolve. It's all about making yourself, putting yourself first. Ooh. Yes, it is about that. And I say that because that line can be thrown around a little bit, right? You put yourself mm-hmm. first, self-care, all that sort of thing. Um, but it's so true. And I'm, I'm in, I've been in business myself for the last year. And, and people on the podcast know that I've been pushing myself in lots of ways. And my survival, like I didn't go to school as a kid. So I made up this survival strategy, what, which was using my brain. If I can just think my way out, if I can outwit the person, if I can be smarter, funnier, like those sorts of things, I'm good. And that fucking works for like a decade. It works so well. I've got a master's degree. I've got a business. I'm doing all these things. And I, yeah, I put a lot of it down to me thinking my way and educating myself through things. And now I'm that a little bit older. I'm pushing myself without doing enough of the balance of like, oh, put me first. My body needs nurturing if it's going to sustain this level of success or work. And, you know, and it's like I'm at this time in my life, the last few months of my body is just going, hello, you can't keep going on like this. And it's kind of trying to, and I'm cognitively trying to do it a lot by going, all right, you needed your brain to be there for you for those 10 years. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. And now you need to pay a little, I need to pay a little bit more attention to my body. So this is really, it's so funny how I do podcasts and uh, we've never met. And it's just always the right timing because I'm like, oh my God, this guy gets it. Um, and so I'm, I'm in that stage of, I, I do it really well. And I, ha- I feel like I have that balance for a week or whatever. And then I'm like, brain, 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 safe place, safe place. <laughs> Um, and you you really rely so much on our brain that it takes over. I mean, the intellect, it's our MO, like the, the intellect takes over, you know. But you got it. You, you, you just said it. When you feel an emotion, you got to go back to the body. So feel an emotion, go to the body, close my eyes and take a minute to just stay there without trying to understand or move it forward in any way or have judgment around why is this still fucking happening or anything. Anything. You stop, you close your eyes, you pay attention to your sensation. You gotta pay attention to two sensations at once. Okay. Because if you only pay attention to one sensation, the sensation is gonna increase, you're gonna freak out, you're gonna try to control it. Two so two kind of bear your brain just I don't know. How does that work? It's just so you'll you, you'll see that if you have an emotion, it's because you have several sensations in the body. An emotion is always composed by several sensations, physical sensations. Let me see if I get this right. So my cortisol is going up, so I feel like I'm getting hot, and that's one sensation. Correct. One often is a constricting of my throat. Yes, absolutely. I don't have a voice. So is that a good example of two? Great example. It can also be the heart rate uh, pumping up. It can be like difficulty breathing. It can be weak legs. It can be tension in the chest, tension in the shoulders. Attention, all those physiological sensations. That's what you want to pay attention to. And you want to pay attention to two at once. And then just observe those sensations and observe what they do. They're going to change places. They're going to change texture. They're going to change intensity. Just be with them, observe them as if there were two protagonists in your body until you feel calm. When you feel calm, you open your eyes. And watch the pattern not coming back again. I know it's crazy. However, to update a prediction is extremely quick. The brain reacts extremely quickly. Once the body realizes that what it took as a stimulus 
is not a stimulus anymore. It's actually a very safe environmental detail. Then right away, the prediction is updated. Our brain updates prediction constantly every day. That's how we work. That's how we learn. The plasticity of the brain is absolutely phenomenal. It is. That is true. And it's not fixed. And it's that whole growth mindset thing of being open to, to new things. So let me get your views on something. So a lot of the interviews that we've done over the last sort of almost two years um, are people who've hit some kind of rock bottom moment. And it's kind of about, the conversation is often about resilience and do we need uh, the kind of that crash point, that trauma, that rock bottom moment in order? And this might not be totally your field. I just want to get your, your views on it because you know stuff about neuroscience. In order to, like for many of us, myself included, my rock bottom moments acted as a catalyst because I could have either ended my life, like that's how dark it was, or I could begin to do the tough work of building my, my brain pathways and, and all that sort of stuff and taking action to, to sort of better my life. And some people, but some people never have that, that rock bottom and maybe their life stays mediocre. I say that, that sounds judgy, but it, it stays regular or, or average, whatever. But it doesn't force them to then kind of shoot up into this potential or this part of themselves. What are your views on, on if you have any? Just on resilience, what makes it, and do we need these rock bottom moments to, to push us forward? I think that sadly, uh, as you said, this rock bottom moment or the shift that a lot of people need. Yes. Often is a wake up call, you know? And um, yes, after this rock bottom moment, for some of us, we have the will to change. We have a force behind us that pushes to change. For some people, the because you changed your whole career. So you had yeah. some kind of moment based on the anxiety that you were experiencing, going to this kind of emotional you know, support or therapy with the TP thing. And then something happened where you were like, fuck this, I'm leaving my job, I'm changing everything. What was that middle bit like for you? You know, the thing is like, I didn't want to keep on living the way I was. Like being, being eaten up from inside by anger, nobody knew around me what I was saying because that's a thing you know I mean I had a pretty happy neighbor um, childhood you know I was raised in the woods basically you know I had good parents yes I was bullied a lot but I mean other than that I was fine I, I don't know why I was so anxious I don't know why I was so angry I have no logical reason however that was eating me inside you know and and I just didn't want to do that anymore I just didn't want I couldn't and, and when I found something that pragmatically, finally, was actually helping me, I was like, fuck, you know, if I can change myself, I can help others to change, you know? And it, it's just, so I didn't have a rock bottom, so to speak. I was like, I just can't do that anymore. It was for me, it wasn't like, I'm going to commit suicide or anything. It was like, it can't be that human beings have to live that way. It doesn't make any sense. For me, it's clear now, our default emotional state as human beings is contentment. It's not high joy. It's, you know, it's being fucking content. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's being content. Yeah. Being in relationship with what's happening. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so to answer your question. Your own personal catalyst moment. So not a crisis, but a catalyst because you finally had maybe some education that there was another way. So sometimes we don't know what we don't know. 
we keep going the way we are until somebody like a coach or a, a TV show even or a friend kind of goes, hey, do you know there's another way? And you're like, what? And so if there is another way, then you're like, let me just take that and test it out. That's right. And that's why I'm here because there is another way. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's life changing. You know, it's life changing. And you know, the, the crazy thing is um, uh, my mom, my mom uh, committed suicide in 2014. And she knew the work that I was doing. So she knew there was another way, mm. you know. But some people, uh, yeah, so, some, some people don't have the, 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 the not the will, it's not the will I'm looking for, but don't, don't reach out, you know, don't yeah. feel they can reach out. They stay in isolation. Yes. And, and not, don't share the, the darkness or the shame. And exactly. Never- receive the help that we often need during those times. And the crazy thing is, like my mother, for example, you, you had no idea then she was depressed. I mean, I had no idea. With the job that I do, you will think, right? No idea. Strong woman, driven. You never know what people are going through. So the idea to put this information out there is like, hey, try it. Come to a free training that we do. You know, most, most of the people I train do free trainings. You know, get the information, take it for yourself, try it. Because you don't have to live with stress, anxiety, depression. It doesn't matter why you feel that way. And what I'm seeing and what I see with many of the people I interview is that their path leads them to a deep sense of purpose, of of saving, you know, themselves and and other people or for you, your your mother. Like, if I can just give people these tools, they don't have to suffer like I did or, or... or like she did. It's like you're on a mission. Yeah, pretty much. That's true, yeah. And if it doesn't feel like a mission, it's like, well, maybe it does sometimes. Sounds yeah, like it does, it does feel like a mission. <laughs> it does, you're right. It sounds like a mission. And I tell you why. Because your physical sensations of how you communicate connect to the cognitive professionalism of how you talk. That's what much. says to me that there's a mission here. And there's something deep and purposeful and not just, oh, what career shall I do? Let me get into emotional trauma. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like there's a driver. There's something quite passionate and beautiful. Thank you very much. And I can only say the same thing about you. You know, you're drawing force on there. This has been so exciting for me. Um, so what, we're, we're, I'm obviously in the UK. Our listeners are international, but of course, there's a big uh, audience here. Um, how can they find out more about uh, the program that you do, the Emotional, it was the Emotional Institute, Health Institute, Emotional Health, emotional Health Institute, yeah. Uh, so we're redoing the Emotional Health Institute website. It'll be back up on June 15th. Okay. Uh, so far, they can go to cedricbertelli.com okay. and, and learn about the work, about what's behind it, etc. And the sessions that we do with clients can be done via Skype or Zoom. You don't have to be in person. Okay. So anybody from the UK, from South Africa, it doesn't matter. You can, you can work with someone and resolve a pattern um, from anywhere you are. You don't have to be in person. Oh, my goodness. Um, Cedric, thank you so much for getting up really early. <laughs> my pleasure. I mean, hey, anytime. If it's that good, I wake up every day. <laughs> I don't time, no problem. Well, you had to trust because you weren't sure how good it was going to be. But I think we have a similar energy. So I, it was very good to like, use personal example, but to just get your, your views um, I definitely needed to hear this again. Like the universe keeps telling me, listen to your body. <laughs> listen. <laughs> listen. And it keeps yelling at me. Um, but-
but I still do this. I feel it for like a little second and then I go, let me just think my way out of this and let me outsmart it. Uh, and then it but keeps popping up. Use your brain to follow the sensation. That for, in order to heal, we've got to surrender. Consciously surrender to what the body is saying. We just have to listen to the body once. It's enough to update, uh, to update the prediction. But it is rough. It is rough because it, it feels scary. It's but, not. But, it's, but the, we can cognitively remind ourselves, and that's what this, uh, this conversation is, is that we are safe. Like the, our life isn't what it used to be. And so therefore, this will help us move through it if we just kind of let go, don't control things, and just that's do right. the feelings. That's right, because all the stress we're getting um, um, injected with every time we have those fears. Yeah. I mean, all the stress is making us sick. You know, it brings down our immune system, it brings down our actual cognitive abilities, and, and there's no reason to keep, keep on being stressed again and again and again like this. This is crazy. Yeah, yeah, but that's a really good point. And there's so much science now and documentaries around that ongoing stress and our, us building it up in our bodies, how that's leading to physical uh, health issues as well as mental health issues and, and all the rest of it. Um, and I'm in the mental health space, so, so I get that a lot. But I'm, I'm beginning to re remember that our head is attached to our body, right? Yeah. It is not an entity on its own. Um, no. what, what do you wish, finally, what, what advice would you give your younger self? So the kid who's being bullied and who's like, you know, the, whatever fears you were experiencing, whatever that, like with your, your wisdom hat on now, what advice would you give to that kid? Well, if I, if I could talk to this kid now, I will help him to resolve his fear because when you get bullied because you're, you're letting other people bully you often, you know, it's based on fear and inhibition. So I would have helped this kid not to, well, nobody ever asked me this question. Shit, you're going to make me feel emotional a little bit. I would have, have helped this kid to get rid of this inhibition, get rid of this fear and stand for himself, you know, and yeah, that would have been much better. So what would you much better. What would you have said to him? Say that he doesn't have to feel that way and that no one is, no one is in any kind of right to push people around or, or make them feel bad or, or insult them or beat them up. And that, well, buddy, if that happens to you, it's probably because you let it happen to you and you don't have to be that way. And so I would just have help him to resolve that so he can stand for himself and actually, you know, feel proud about fighting back and, and stand his ground. So beautiful. Um, thank you, Cedric. We will add your website details into the show notes and we'll, we'll tag you in some posts around this because uh, I really want people to get in touch with you and the Emotional Health Institute because I really think it can solve so many things. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for a wonderful interview, you know, and, and for your time and it was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through petrabelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.